This last Sunday, I was in a thousand-member church, uh, and it's a great church, very healthy church. Um, they didn't have nothing on our choir, though, okay? <laughs> we were blessed. I thought of, uh, this is not exactly a Mother's Day story per se, uh, but listening to Lisa, I thought about it. Uh, years ago, I was uh, pastoring a church, and for a brief time, uh, everybody on my staff was a male, except for my uh, secretary. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> My staff is glaring at me. <laughs> One time we were having a staff meeting and we were sitting around and we were planning for this special Sunday with a luncheon and a whole lot of moving pieces and, and uh, we were working out all the logistics and we got to the end and I said, any questions? And my secretary said, yes, what are you going to do for table decorations? <laughs> and we looked at each other and just burst out laughing that never crossed our mind. Oh, this is why God invented women. Okay. No, come on. You misinterpreted that. Without women, the, the world would be efficient but boring and... Okay, I'm already in trouble. I'll keep going. I'll stop. I'm going to get emails about that one. I'm glad I didn't tell that in the first service when my wife was here. Um, well, prayers for uh, Pastor Jackie. Uh, her husband, Chris, had to go out of town uh, somewhat unexpectedly for some training. And she called me this morning. And she was already lamenting yesterday that Chris was going to be gone for Mother's Day. And she called me this morning. And one, one of her kids had been up all night and the other was throwing up. And so... Poor Jackie's spending Mother's Day being a mother, and so keep her in your prayers. I want to uh, begin a little sermon series on uh, the book of Acts, and more specifically, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit for the next few Sundays. Uh, the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, you have the Gospels, you have the story of Jesus, you have Holy Week, you have the crucifixion, and then you have Easter morning and Christ is risen from the dead, and yay, amen, hallelujah, that's a great story. Uh, that's just the beginning of the story. Uh, the book of Acts is how Jesus continues to do amazing things in the world. The Acts of the Apostles, uh, some commentators will say you could easily call this the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the common thread throughout that whole book. Uh, the, the actors come and go. The apostles come and go. The geography changes. But the common thread, the common plot throughout the whole book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the book of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit loose in the world. Jesus still doing amazing things in the world through the Holy Spirit. And then that leads us to uh, answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the resurrected Christ loose in the world. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but today I want to talk about power. The Holy Spirit gives 
power. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the world. And more specifically, it is the power that allows the church to do amazing, impossible things. It is power loose in the world, but it is power loose working through the church in the world. The church, this little tiny ragtag band of doubters and fishermen and tax collectors and sinners and naysayers and common Joes and common Janes, all filled with the Holy Spirit and out in the world and doing amazing things for Jesus Christ. The Acts of the Apostles, you could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You could also call this the Acts of the Church because it's the story of the church empowered with the Holy Spirit out in the world. Now, this scripture uh, that was read to you, and it's in your bulletin uh, insert if you wanted to follow along. But uh, these are really kind of two short little vignettes set in between two major stories in Acts. The, the story that comes right before it is the conversion of Saul, who becomes Paul. It's the, it's the story of the Damascus Road experience and Paul's conversion from an enemy to, of the church to the best friend of the church. It's the story of Paul who persecutes the church and then becomes one who is persecuted for the sake of Christ in the church. The one who was out to destroy the church becomes the greatest architect of the church. It's a great story, a huge story, a very important story to the church in the New Testament and even to this day. And then immediately after these two little vignettes, there's a story of Peter who goes to see the centurion, Cornelius, a Gentile, a pagan, if you will, who gets the Holy Spirit and the church is stunned at these wrong people get to be in the church too, but that's next Sunday, okay? All right? That when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, he really meant it. We thought it was just some sort of metaphor. Okay, so you could easily, you could easily just skip right through or read quickly through these two little short stories, uh, going from one big story and getting to the next big story. The text is brief. It's sparse. It's, it's told with very little elaboration or explanation. But like a lot of things in the Bible, in a few short verses, you get an amazing richness in it. What interests me about these uh, two stories is that nothing in these stories are the way it's supposed to be. Nothing stays the way it's supposed to be. First, it says that uh, Peter was traveling around the country. Well, what's he doing traveling around the country? He's a marginally educated working Joe fisherman. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is traveling around trying to grow the church, being an apostle down at the temple in Jerusalem, arguing theology with the experts? He's, he's just a working Joe ordinary guy. Who is this guy that thinks he's been empowered to do all these amazing things? He goes to this little town, encounters Aeneas, 
okay, wait a minute. Aeneas is a very pagan Greek name. It's a, it comes from the great uh, Greek poem of centuries earlier about the story of the city of Troy, Peter's, this religious guy hanging out with this pagan guy who's paralyzed. He'd been bedridden for eight years. Jesus says, I mean, uh, Peter says, uh, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. And he gets up. The people are stunned, of course. The name still has power. Obviously, there's some sort of new vitality at work in their midst. There's healing and restoration and future at work. Aeneas, the man with the pagan name, the man who is paralyzed, the man who is in bondage to his body is suddenly set free and becomes a witness to the power of the gospel. It, the story does not explain how this happens. It doesn't even explain why this happens. It just says what happens. The Holy Spirit shows up and those who are in bondage are set free. Nearby in Joppa, a little seaport sea town, is Tabitha. Uh, in Aramaic, Dorcas in Greek, gazelle in English. That's what that word means in both of those languages. Gazelle, a woman named gazelle. Although, wait a minute, it doesn't say a woman named gazelle. It says a disciple named gazelle. Now, that's the same exact word used for the 12 disciples. It's the feminine form of that same word word women are not supposed to be disciples right they the disciple is to be a student of a rabbi in that culture women are not allowed to be students of the rabbi but here we have a disciple a woman disciple named gazelle and apparently she's running some sort of mission project for the widows in her town now, in that culture and in that economy, very few people were more vulnerable to uh, abject poverty or to be taken advantage of in horrible ways than widows without immediate families to give them protection. And so here's Gazelle, this disciple who's taking care of them, who's running a mission project for them. But Gazelle gets sick. Gazelle dies. And then the church calls in Peter, who's nearby. Now, why do they do that? She's dead. She's gone. Why do they send for him? What do they think? What does the church actually think is going to happen? Now, Peter comes. Peter makes the trip. The widows meet him at the door. They are heartbroken, and they are not interested in theological reflection or discussion. They're not interested in pious words of comfort. They're not interested in don't worry when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. They're not interested in the sweet. By and by, we shall meet on that wonderful shore. Gazelle is dead, and she was taking care of them. This is an economic crisis for them. Their means of getting by in the world is gone, and they don't know what to do. Peter prays. What's he praying about? What does he expect to happen? Gazelle, get up. And she gets up. Peter helps her to her feet. Somehow the church has the power 
to wrestle life back away from death. The church is on the move. The power of the Holy Spirit is loose in the world. And now nothing seems to stay fixed anymore. Nothing seems to stay nailed down. Nothing seems to stay in its place anymore. Women become disciples. They're not supposed to be disciples. The men are supposed to run the world, right? I don't know. The Holy Spirit shows up and things start coming loose. The crippled won't stay crippled. The dead won't stay dead. Fishermen won't stay in their boats. And the church won't mind its business and just stick to religion. It's not explained. But apparently, everything's changing. History is no longer closed. Something subversive but wonderful is going on in the world. And the powers of the world suddenly don't seem that powerful anymore. The powers of this world have the power to persecute the church, but they can't stop the church from growing. It just keeps growing, and they can't seem to do anything about it. The powers of this world have the power to kill, but the they don't have the power to keep the dead dead. They can't even run the cemetery efficiently anymore. And that's the easiest thing in the world to keep nailed down. But something's loose in the cemetery and they don't know how to stop it. And meanwhile, the least and the last and the obscure and the ordinary are doing powerful and amazing things. They're turning the world upside down. Ordinary Simon Peter, Paul, Gazelle are suddenly out front and no longer in the back. The Holy Spirit is loose in the world. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I find all this inspiring and convicting all at the same time. That these kinds of stories can easily convict me of my, my rut. Uh, I can easily fall into of saying very small prayers my little faith at times, my small expectations, my little hope. Who do you think you are is the tape that can run in my head. Don't get your hopes up. Don't expect too much. That's what the world says, right? Things never really change. It's just going to get worse. You can't fight City Hall. Gazelle, get up. And she gets up. Back, uh, I've mentioned this before, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I really got uh, pretty heavily involved in Walk to Emmaus. I was on countless teams for a while. Walk to Emmaus, I know a lot of you have been on it. It's a three-day spiritual renewal experience. And I was pretty much a, um, a rookie preacher and pastor and I began to notice some things. One of the things I noticed was this, was, again, I'm the rookie preacher, but I, I could go uh, to an Emmaus event. I could go to an Emmaus worship service. I could preach a sermon. And people are like, amen, and hallelujah, and raising their hands and coming to the front and crying. And it was just fantastic and amazing. And then... I would go preach that same exact sermon in some little church two weeks later, and their response was pretty much, that was nice. Now, what, how I began to understand that was that 
a, a walk weekend is bathed in prayer, immersed in prayer. Sometimes a whole year in advance, people start praying for that particular weekend. There's prayers, hundreds, thousands of prayers that get said. And somehow the Holy Spirit just would always show up and amazing things would happen. Marriages would get healed. Impossible forgiveness would suddenly be a reality that this bondage that folks were struggling with was suddenly just not there anymore, that as parents, our whole relationship with our children could dramatically change. The Holy Spirit was in the house. Now, just to give you perspective, my 10th year of ministry, I, I had to move to another church, and I had saved every sermon script I ever wrote for 10 years, and I, I I started looking through those, and I thought, oh, those poor people. <laughs> those poor, faithful people. And I, I took all of them and went to the dumpster and thrown them in. But that's the point, right? The Holy Spirit takes the ordinary and can do something extraordinary with it. Thank God. I think, pre, I think the Holy Spirit creates receptivity. And that becomes very powerful. When I moved here, um, later that summer, my kids came for a visit. And after church, they said, Dad, they think you're a great preacher. And I said, that's right, they do. <laughs> and they said, but you're just doing the same old crap you've always done. <laughs> and I said, that's right. It's cool. It's the Holy Spirit. Somebody's praying. I, I kept thinking that over and over. I, I just... The Holy Spirit's in the neighborhood. Somebody must be praying. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When I was graduating from seminary, I got asked to preach at a little church um, that I was very familiar with. And I probably had written maybe 12 sermons my whole lifetime total at that point in time. And so when I preach, about 99% of the time, I'm preaching to myself, and especially on that Sunday. And I, I just talked about the grace of it all, that who did I think I was to be ordained? Who did I think I was to speak for God? Who did I think I was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it just seemed ludicrous to me and impossible to me. And, and yet here I was, and... Somehow, God wants me. And at the end of that service, this teenage girl starts coming down the aisle, and she is crying crocodile tears. And she was a, a foster 
child. She's about 16. She'd been from house to house, to family to family, had this horrible life. She was now with this very sweet family, really trying to turn it around for her. And she comes down and, and she got it. She got it. Just, just, she got the gospel that after being rejected by nearly everything, here was acceptance descending upon her. A after feeling like she was unworthy of everything, this, this value was being placed upon her that, that somehow she was invited to the dance and loved and desired and she comes down and the, the regular pastor steps in and, and in front of everybody starts lecturing her on membership and whether she could obey the vows of, of membership to this institution, and I just wanted to run over and tackle him and put him on the ground. I just wanted to just put him down and say, no, you idiot, this is not about the institution, this is about the Holy Spirit. She, there's a miracle happening, and even here in this little church, and she is being saved in every way that it means to be saved. Get some water, we're going to baptize her. Come on! When I moved out to West Texas, I, I realized pretty quickly that it really is John Wayne country out there, okay? <laughs> Wonderful people do anything for you. We're not doing that touchy-feely stuff, though. Okay, and, and I realized that people would say, I'll pray for you, but no one would ever take me by the hand and just start praying for me. Or I'd be in a small group, and we would do prayer concerns, but then nobody would offer to say a prayer. Well, I got asked to be a spiritual director on a walk, and the lay director and I were talking, and we realized we both just had a real vision for pushing the envelope hard hard on that walk and we even kind of got away from the manual and, and set up this prayer room and it was just amazing and awesome and the Holy Spirit was in that place and she got worried about it she wanted to go ask for permission and I said no I'm not going to ask for permission to pray more and if I get in trouble for praying too much my mother is going to be so proud of me <laughs> and so so at the first team meeting, I, I did a, a little worship service, I served the sacrament, and then I said, okay, I said, here in a minute, when I say go, you turn around, and the first person you make eye contact with, you grab that person, and you pray out loud with them, and then they're going to pray out loud for you, ready, set, go, and I turned around, and there's this young woman with, with a deer in the headlight look at me. And I said, come on, let's go. And I grabbed her hand and I said a prayer out loud for her. And then she said a prayer out loud for me. And then later she told me, she said, I'm 32 years old. I've never said a prayer out loud with anybody. I said, well, now you have. She started coming to our church. She started coming to our Sunday school. She started singing in her praise band. I remember walking in one morning, and our praise band was great at praising God, but never really praying to God. 
and she circled them up, and she made those John Waynes hold hands, and, <laughs> and she said, we're praying, and she starts praying out loud, and oh, it was just so delightful to watch my little prayer rookie forcing that band to pray out loud. And then about three years later, I heard through the grapevine that she got tapped out to be a director, lay director for Walk to Emmaus. And on Walk to Emmaus, you pray out loud in front of hundreds of people multiple times. And I called her up and I said, oh, my little rookie prayer warrior, now you're going to the graduate school of prayer. How's it feel? And she said, I don't know. And I said, three years ago, would you have said that this was going to happen? Would you have said this was, this was possible? And she said, oh, no. I would have told you that's impossible. The Holy Spirit shows up. And those impossible things become ordinary. Church, I, I, I say let's pray to the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit has extraordinarily good manners. The Holy Spirit won't show up more times than not unless we invite the Holy Spirit. Let's invite the Holy Spirit. Please pray for me. Please pray that I, I can be the, the servant pastor you deserve. Please pray that the Holy Spirit creates receptivity in our hearts to what God was doing. Pray to the Holy Spirit that we can have eyes to see what God might be doing all around us. Give us the humility to realize that when God is doing a, a new thing, it might not be the way we've been doing things. Pray to the Holy Spirit to give us the humility to understand that if we're on the journey to learning something new, it might be a part of that journey that something old we realized we were wrong about. Pray to the Holy Spirit to give us fire and love and to see our community in such a way that, that the power of God might in some miraculous way flow right through us. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that we should be created. And by some miracle, God would use us to renew the face of the earth.